0: We're circling our heart's affection around a single verse this season of Lent from John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jonathan mentioned it, verse 17. Jesus says, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. He has in his mind the cross. He has on his heart the grave. He's looking ahead to his own death and he says, I lay down my life to take it up again. But not just the cross and the grave and death itself. It's also a way of life, a a way of being. It's an, an orientation of surrender to the Father. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. People much smarter than me have noticed that from creation the orientation of humanity at creation was to receive a, a sort of hands open posture God creating, God giving and humanity simply receiving. And then it wasn't until the fall, it wasn't until till they, they reached out and they took. You notice the difference from hands opened in reception to reaching out and grabbing. She took of its fruit. She took of its fruit and chaos ensued and the world started to spiral and brokenness became our daily dose. But, but Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up to rewrite the script, to re narrate the world, to invite us again to open handedness, to invite us again to lay down our lives in order to take them up again. One of the things that uh, Lent, insofar as, in as much as it focuses our affections on the way of the cross, one of the things about Lent that seems so curious and complicated to me, it's just so contrary to my instincts this way of the cross. I like to manage. I like to control. I I like things to go the way I intend them to go. I don't want to lay it down. I mean, my folks, I'm sure they did a great job of shaping me and molding me into a pretty good guy, a relatively polite person, but mostly I want what I want and I want it when I want it, which is usually right now. I don't want to lay it down. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up inviting us, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. So this season of Lent, I'm inviting you to lay it down. What do you need to lay down? Will you open your hands? What do you need to surrender to the Father? We'll get to the take it up again, that's called resurrection, but for now, what do you need to lay down? Our way through Lent will be John's gospel, beginning in chapter 17 through chapter 19. Chapter 17, Jesus is at the table with his disciples. He's already broken the bread, he's already poured out the cup, he's washed their feet, he's begged them, Love each other. That's how people will know if you love one another. And then he starts to pray. It's the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus in the, in the Bible. I think that's true. We know he prayed the Psalms all of the time. He taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray with some regularity, but John 17 is the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus in the Bible. So listen to Jesus praying. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all people to give eternal life to those whom you've given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your very own presence, with the glory I had in your presence before the world existed. I've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They are yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Everything you've given me, they know is from you. The word you gave to me, I've given to them, and they have received and know in truth that I've Come from you. And they believed that you have sent me. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world. But on behalf of those whom you've given me. They are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I'm no longer of the world. And they're not of the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father. Protect them. In your name you've given me that they may be one as we are one. When I was with them, I protected them. I guarded them so that not one would be lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But I'm coming to you. I've said these things in the world that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I gave them your word, and the world hated them because they're not, they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. They no longer belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of those who will believe in me because of their word, that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us, that the world may know that you have sent me. The glory you gave to me, I've given to them, that they may be one. I in them and you in me, that they may be in us, that they may be completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. My desire, Father, is that they also, whom you've given me, will be with me where I am, that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and they know you sent me. I've made your name known, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you've loved me may be in them as I am in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 17. You can find it in a Bible near you or maybe the smartphone on you. I was, uh, Tuesday night, I was at my house trying to interiorize, internalize, memorize John 17. This prayer, I was sitting on my chair, had my Bible open on my lap, my head back on the rest of the chair. I had my eyes closed. I was reciting it out loud. One of my daughters, unbeknownst to me, one of my daughters walked into the room. She saw this scene. She thought I'd absolutely lost it. She asked suspiciously, "'Dad, what you doing?' I said, I'm trying to memorize John 17. She said, don't you have the whole Bible memorized? I said, no, each week is an adventure. I said, do you wanna hear John 17? And she was trapped. What was she supposed to say? She had to stand there. I offered it. I I recited as much as I had the whole thing. I said, amen, at the end. And I said, "Did, did you understand any of that? And she paused. She looked at me thoughtfully. She wanted to please her dad. She said, no. And she walked away. John 17 is complicated. John 17 moves in and out, back and forth, theological nuance all over the place and maybe it can be so complicated you just wanna walk away. Before you walk away, there's a couple things I want you to notice. Jesus prays. Jesus prays for us. Notice this progression. Jesus prays. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us for the sake of the world. Then I'll invite you to the table. Jesus prays, maybe it's silly to say. You probably have noticed it as obvious, but I think it's worth noting, Jesus prays. We spend a lot of time, it's one of the basic fundamental Christian practices, the earliest Christian community devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Jesus taught us to pray, our father he showed us to pray. The book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, the Apostle Paul says in a different place, pray without ceasing. So much of our time, attention, and energy around prayer has to do with what we do. How often we do it, how well we do it, which words we use when we do it, how many of us might do it. What power are we invoking if we do it? And then we help ourselves pray. I remember a little acronym I learned when I was a kid, ACTS. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, a way to help us pray. And now in my life, I, I turn to the Book of Common Prayer, these ancient prayers, 100 years old, that Christians have prayed over and over and over to help me pray. Or maybe you've got a daily devotional you use with your, on your own or with your friends or maybe you're on the dinner table with a family and at the end of it, what is there? A paragraph of prayer to help you pray. So much of our time, energy, and attention around prayer has to do with what we do. How often we pray, how well we pray, what words we use when we pray, what power do we invoke if we pray? How many of us need to pray to get the power to do something? And all of it's fine and all of it's good. I'm not wanting to take really any of that away, but I do wanna note Jesus prays. Before you say, dear Jesus, and after you say amen, Jesus is still praying, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Romans 8, we don't know how to pray. The Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And then later in that same chapter, Jesus at the right hand of the Father intercedes for us. Jesus is the one who prays. Jesus is praying. With the world swirling in chaos then, Jesus prays. And with the world swirling in chaos now, Jesus prays. All the power of God and the breadth of eternity invested into a single human being who's willing to bend his knee and bow his head in prayer. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, which is an echo of a story earlier in John's gospel, John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana in Galilee. Remember this story? Jesus turns the water into wine. The wedding party, they've run out of wine. Jesus' mom is there. She runs to Jesus. She says, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, what's that got to do with me? And he says, my hour has not yet come. Mom looks at son and is like, come on. So he turns the water into wine. And then John says, this was the first of his signs. There are seven signs in John's gospel, seven times Jesus making clear who he is and what he can do. The signs are not promises. If we ask him nicely enough, he'll do it for us. They're announcements about what, who he is. John in John 17 brings us back to John 2, not to announce a sign, but to indicate an orientation. Jesus prays. Jesus, the one who has the capacity to do the seven signs, is the one who prays. All the power of God, and the breadth of eternity invested in a single person who bends his knee and bows his head in prayer. So parent, overwhelmed by the responsibility of parenting in this world of identity confusion and social media algorithms and the synapses of the cerebellum still wiring themselves into the person your precious one will become. And you just want, it's too much. It's too, hold on, wait a minute, Jesus praise. So concerned citizen as wars rage and bombs explode in places most of us will never go but all of a sudden seem so close while humanitarian crises continue around the rest of the world and you want to throw in the towel of hope and concede the world to futility. Hold on, wait a minute, Jesus prays. So one sitting on your couch or dining room table with an ache in your heart I don't know about and you don't think anyone would understand, so you buried it in hopes it never comes out. Hold on. Wait just a second. Jesus prays. Jesus prays for us, for you and me and us together and all of our usiness, our sadness and our hope and our joy and our pain and our longings and our passion. Jesus prays for us. He prays for us for protection, unity, and intimacy. He prays for us for protection. Holy Father, protect them in your name you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. And then just a few verses later, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. He prays for protection, not for physical safety, but for unity, that we may be one as we are one. He prays, as you, Father, are in me and I am in them, that they may be in us, that they may be completely one. He prays for protection, for unity about intimacy. The whole prayer is about intimacy with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. He begins, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ. He ends the prayer, that they may know the love with which you loved me is in them, and I in them. He prays, Father, I desire that they may be where I am. Intimacy, he prays for protection, for unity, for intimacy. There's some correlation. It's not cause and effect, but there's some correlation between our capacity and willingness to stay together, to be together, and Christ's willingness to come to us. He prays for protection that we would be united so that he could draw near. These words from Leslie Newbegin in a book titled The Household of God absolutely haunt me. The disunity of the church is a direct and public contradiction to the gospel. Christ prays for protection, for unity, for intimacy, connection, to draw near. I've been reading this book titled A Deeply Formed Life by a New York City pastor named Rich Viodas. It's a great book. I'm not through it yet, but I can already recommend it to you In one of the chapters, he uses a phrase called a filter bubble." It's a new phrase to me. Apparently, a filter bubble is a way of describing what happens so often to us in life, especially through social media, but other ways as well urging us, nudging us, cajoling us, prompting us, pushing us, inviting us into silos of thinking and to silos of relating called a filter bubble. Have you ever noticed if you're online and you want a new pair of shoes and you Google dress shoes for walking, all of a sudden, all of the sidebars of your websites are constantly showing you shoes. The the algorithm is like, hey, you want shoes? I'll happily help. Or on on the social media sites like Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever they are, they, they recommend to you people you might want to connect with based on some version of commonality, whether it's a geographical commonality or a social one, urging us, nudging us, cajoling us into silos of thinking and silos of relating. It's called a filter bubble. And all of it pushes us farther and farther away from the unity and connection Christ has in mind for us. Christ prayed protection from so that we would be together in order that he could draw near. There's a cor- it's not cause and effect, but there's a correlation between our willingness to stay together and his willingness to draw near. How is that? Prayer go, Jesus says, wherever two or three agree in my name, there I am. They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. Or in one of John's epistles, if we are in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. So what do you need to lay down, I guess, is the question. What do you need to open your hands to? What do you need to surrender to the Father in order that, so that we can stay together, so that Christ might draw near? Uh, These words from a book by Chris Rice and Emmanuel Katangale titled Reconciling All Things, important part of pillar stories, stand out to me. The speed of reconciliation meets a wall when reconciliation is measured by what is nearest to us, when we see the task as being reconciled within our homes, families, and congregations, somehow the world can be so busy talking about a global vision for overcoming violence, yet we can't fix the marriages in our own churches or find healing with an alienated relative or even overcome our own anger towards those who have wounded us. So what do you need to lay down? What do you need to lay down? Jesus prays for us, for protection, for unity, for intimacy. Jesus prays, Jesus prays for us, Jesus prays for us for the sake of the world. This unity that he prays for, that he longs for, this more beautiful way he's inviting us to is for the sake of the world. The, the, the shocking, diabolical division that exists in our world that, that seeps into our churches is not God's heart for us. God's heart is that we would be one so that the world would know. Think about it. Jesus, with the cross looming, prays for unity. Jesus, with the grave just ahead, prays for unity. Jesus, with Judas at the table and Peter by his side, prays for unity. Jesus, with death howling and the grave hounding and the end coming praise for unity for the sake of the world. It's always been God's heart. The covenant with Abram, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Earlier in John's gospel, for God so loved the world. Paul, in a different place, every knee will bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. It's always been about the world. It's an invitation to a more beautiful way, to a better way, a way that witnesses to the wide embrace of Christ's purposes for your life, for the world. So what do you need to lay down? Will you open your hands? Can you surrender to the Father in order to go the more beautiful way? I'm sure your heart has been breaking like mine as we've watched the horrors of war taking place in Ukraine. I can remember the Iraq war in the early 90s, watching war on TV, and now we have it in high definition. Bombs, crumbling buildings, refugees hurtling themselves to Poland, little kids Sleeping in beds in basements, hoping the bomb doesn't blow up their family that night. A missionary friend sent a friend a video prayer of Ukrainian Christians praying Psalm 31. She sent it to me. I was so moved by it. I thought you might like to see just a couple of seconds of it.
1: А я покладаю на Я кажу Бог. В твою руку кладу свою долю.
0: That was powerful for me to watch them pray. And we've been—you've been following the stories. War raging in Ukraine, sanctions being imposed, businesses withdrawing from Russia, Russian oil exports banned. And you've seen it all. One story has stood out to me as wonderfully unique. I read it in Christianity Today. You can find the full article there if you're looking for it. It's the story of a Ukrainian woman, Angela, and a Russian man, Alexei. I've asked my friends, Christian and Trish, if they would read portions of the transcript as a way of helping you hear just a little bit better.
1: My mother entered my room in the middle of the night. The war has started, she said. One week ago, my husband insisted that I take our kids and my mother and evacuate. While we made it to the United States, he stayed behind. I struggled to make it through the day. I joined an international prayer call. The host asked how I was doing. I cried. I was angry. I felt betrayed, broken, and stepped on by Russia. Then the host asked if someone could pray for me. Alexei volunteered, my Russian friend, Alexei.
2: I woke up Thursday morning, startled to learn that my country had invaded Ukraine. It was a cold morning, and I watched the news in silence as I struggled to eat breakfast. I felt afraid for the future of the world, and I grieved for my Ukrainian brothers and sisters who would live or die in the aftermath of this decision. Later that day, I joined the prayer call. When the facilitator asked who would volunteer to pray for her, I said yes and began talking to God as I wept.
1: As I heard Alexei's heartfelt prayer for me, my family, and my country Ukraine, I could not contain my tears. His pain was real. His words reminded me that I was part of a family not based on nationality, skin color, or status. Only Jesus. Out of all the people that God could have used to comfort me that day, he used a Russian brother to give me a glimpse of his heart.
2: After I finished praying, I will never forget the look in my Ukrainian friend's eyes. Instead of condemnation, I saw compassion. Angela wanted to pray for me. On the day that Russia invaded our neighboring country, God used a Ukrainian sister to give me a glimpse of his grace.
0: That's the more beautiful way. That's the better way. That's the Jesus way. A world overwhelmed by division. Angela adds, I believe the most important thing for Christians is to remember that we are one bride, one body of Christ. His blood is in our veins and we are all united by his spirit. Jesus prays, Jesus prays for us, protection, unity, intimacy. Jesus prays for us, for the sake of the world, lay it down. Lay it down. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus says, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome this virtual table maybe you've got bread and wine maybe you've got crackers and juice if you believe jesus is lord take a moment to to celebrate communion if you're not at that place in life or faith if if you've been dragged into this online service this isn't meant to be awkward for you or coercive i'd love to hear some of your hesitations if you're willing to email me at john J O N at PillarChurch.com. maybe we could have a conversation take a walk Share a story. For those who will partake, this is the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.